Okay, so Stop Horror Time contains graphic and explicit content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. movie of the week real life crime or events plus if it's worthy of being an honorary gay film and the titles of the episodes are drink puns so welcome to stop horror time i'm l i'm kate and we are just doing this because we have nothing else to do <laughs> we really love college movies. grads man <laughs> all right uh so what's our horror movie of the week kate it's saw 2004 Directed by James Wan. Written by Lee Winnell. Ah. We love James Wan. We do, in this house. <laughs> Alright, so I say a brief synopsis of it for anybody who hasn't seen Saw, but who hasn't seen Saw, honestly. You want me to give it? <laughs> oh, we're both gonna give one. Okay. <laughs> we're so prepared already. Oh, yeah. So, but we're both giving it, like, at the same time? No, yeah, we're gonna talk over everybody. <laughs> well, you can go first if you like, and then I can give my own. So, basically, Saw is based on a short film of the same name that the boys uh, created to make money for this. It starts with two men waking up in a bathroom, both chained to pipes. Like, it's in this disgusting bathroom with giant pipes. They don't know how they got there. One of them realizes that this sounds like the M.O. of a serial killer that he was actually a suspect for, and that's how he knows about it. Um, I don't know how spoilery we want to get for a movie that's uh, 15 years old, but what should we... <laughs> Anything you want to add? Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead. It's It's been 15 years. If you haven't seen it, well... It's too late. <laughs> oh, the the big climax is that the, uh, he doesn't want us to cut through the chains. He wants us to cut through our feet. And uh, one of them dun, dun, dun. does do that. It is promised. <laughs> thanks, Gary Ellis. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so this movie was constructed because they're, you know, they're fresh out of film school. That's how they met. And they wanted to make something with the limited budget that they had. And so they constructed a story around something that could basically be filmed just in one room, hence the bathroom. They filmed it all in one basic warehouse that they got. The set designer had to create different rooms for different sets out of the one building that they had, and even the exterior shots were filmed indoors. And the puppet was Juan's biggest contribution. Lee came up with the story and came to him with the the idea that would eventually become the short film, which is the scene with the iconic reverse bear trap um he came to Lee, Lee tells this story where he came to James with that idea gives gives him the whole story and he's just like really pumped about it and then his only response is cool 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 so like how could we have a creepy doll in there <laughs> because that <laughs> that was his obsession every movie he made in film school had to have a creepy doll in it it was his MO and so the doll you see in this Billy the Puppet not, it's not oh, Jigsaw yes. Jigsaw's the ma'am but Billy the Puppet yes. was constructed by James Wan. He made it himself. And Tobin Bell loves Billy the Puppet. 
so much. We all do. <laughs> my friend. So my brief synopsis, because I have to make everything into either a meme or some kind of play on words, was either the two guys chilling in a bathroom five feet apart because they're not gay. <laughs> That's so much better than all the bullshit I just said. No. <laughs> no, yours is good. Yours is good. And then there was the uh, somebody I used to know by Gyori, I think. It's, you didn't have to cut me off, but it's Lawrence's foot at him. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> All right. Uh, I just had, I, I was been waiting to say that for so long. You are just I, like, Kincaid, <laughs> stop talking so I can pull this out. <laughs> I've been sitting on that for months. I'm just like, <laughs> I can't wait to say it. Are we, so, are we tying the true crime into this, or we're just talking about the movie first? You can cut this uh, one Movie right first, and then we get to talk about some true crime. Right. And then we get to talk about if it's gay or not. We love to talk about mm-hmm. those things. <laughs> so, uh, Creators in Creation, as Kate has told us, was James Wan and Lee Whannell, who also starred in the film. He was the writer of the movie. Uh, he also wrote the second movie, and I believe that James Wan produced the second movie, but after that they were like, we're done here. And they just left. <laughs> They were like, yeah, Oh, God. This should be my expertise. I don't think James had anything to do with anything but the first, but Lee wrote the first three and then bounced. We should uh, fact check if, if one produced or not. Oops. Uh, first episode. First episode, we can have fun with it. And right, next no time will be a little better. Anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, apparently, people like come up to them like talking about characters from the sequel, and they're like, What are you talking I don't know. <laughs> We don't know anything after, like, maybe two. And then Nor it's, like, big. <laughs> Alright, so, the episode title is called Bloody Carry after Bloody Mary, which is the drink of the week. So I thought, why not? So thank you for putting the gore into Saw for a very otherwise pretty goreless film. It's kind of like Halloween. Not as no, much they gore didn't as have the budget think. for gore yet. It should be pointed out, too, that, like, this first one, they weren't trying for torture porn or anything, and that's kind of what it evolved into. Whenever I recommend Saw to people, I have to warn them, and I'm like, it's not actually that gory. They didn't have the budget or intention for that. Yeah, the first Saw, it's like, this is the only Saw. Like, tell us what they think. It's just like, that's it. (laughs) Don't watch any others. Too bad they never made any sequels for it. Oh, can you imagine? Alright, so... Go ahead and go on to our true crime, which is Stephen Marshall, the Jigsaw Killer. And if you do look him up, he is always accompanied by a picture of Billy the Puppet, which I very much love. Oh, for real? Yeah! Every time I, like, Googled his stuff, there was always a picture of Billy the Puppet, like, in the article next to his mugshot. And I was like, I love that they incorporated this into it. <laughs> the impact. <laughs> They're mines, you know? Alright, so we're actually going across the sea to the Atlantic, uh, across the Atlantic to England, where in 2009, on March 22nd, a human left leg was found in a bag in a labie, which is like a farmer field, that's what they say over there in the UK, I guess, uh, in Cotterid, Herefordshire, by our farmer named Roger Kingsley. Uh, he had seen the bag earlier during his time in the field, but he only went to inspect it once he had gotten closer to it while doing his work. Uh, he got down from the tractor, saw the bag was placed on the other side of the fence in a way that was suggested to be on purpose instead of just thrown there. 
And when he opened the bag, he saw there was a wrap of blue builder's plastic that you see all the time in construction sites. And when he touched it, it gave way, so he became really suspicious and called the local police. So then one of the officers felt around in the bag after arriving, turned to his partner and said, I think it's got toes on. The road and the village was shut down that night and the next morning for the crime scene units to investigate. So there are actually two police forces that began working on this, the Bedfordshire and Herefordshire police, since it was in that district. Uh, they called it Operation Abnet. Don't know why, tried finding forever why they called it that, but there's just what they called it. They're just like, yeah, we'll call it this. <laughs> now, they had the lamp examined by professional to determine how it was taken from the body, like if it was like ripped from the body or if it was like cut off, stuff like that. Uh, they determined that it was so carefully cut, uh, it could not have been the first time the murderer had done it. Uh, as the investigation continued on March 29th in 2009, a passerby in Wheat Hampstead was walking along a quiet country road, found a human left forearm about 25 miles away from Cotterid. The investigators had both limbs tested against the other and found them to belong to the same person. The person, they have no idea who it is. All the evidence they possessed had no DNA in the system, though. And then another break came on March 31st in 2009, when a human head was found in a field in Affordsby, Lectorshire, by a farmer who was digging in his field. Uh, the head had no face. There's no, no face, no signs of deterioration, but it did have its teeth except for the very front two, uh, which were later to have shown been missing over several years. Police were no closer to identifying a victim. Uh, the dental records were not in the system, and such little was left of the victim that the police called in Sue Black and her forensic anthropology team from the University of Dundee's Center for Anatomy and Human Identification. That's a really long-ass university name. <laughs> oh, I gotta take a drink after that. Uh, they received photographs from the forensic team to help determine age and sex of the victim. Sue Black described the head as being anatomically dissected. Uh, her colleague, Lucinda Hackman, assisted in the identification as well. Uh, they saw no teeth marks from animals on the bone, so they were able to find sharp, like, implement cuts, like surgical tool, almost, on the bone of the skull to determine it was intentionally cut off and done for disfigurement. Uh, they were also able to determine that the victim was a middle-aged man, which helped police narrow down their search for victim's identity. So another week passes, nothing else for a little while, and then two more pieces of the victim were discovered, the first being their right leg in Puckeridge, Herefordshire on April 7th, and the second being the torso, which was in a suitcase that was in a trash-strewn ditch located three miles south in Ware on April 11th. Uh, it was then that the police were able to determine the cause of death was a stab wound to the back. All that, that's it, just a stab wound. Forensic scientist Ray Palmer began looking at the tape that had been used to find all the human remains in their containers, hoping to find a common fiber collective that could show the location of where the victim had been killed. Uh, the fortune, unfortunately, the vibrators, ugh, vibrators, <laughs> fibers would only be useful once they had a possible location to compare to, so it was just, oh, we got fibers, but that's it. We don't have anything to compare them at all. Uh, so, frustrated over the lack of progression to the case, the police called on media exposure and they told the public they had a missing person of white, Asia, or mixed heritage that was 5 foot 6 to 5 foot 10 if they had any information. So, somebody contacted the police. 
stating his brother Jeffrey Howe had not been seen since March 16th of 2009, and he was concerned that the deceased that they had was his family. Uh, he was the man's sibling, but Jeffrey was adopted, so he could not provide DNA for the police to match it. Police officers went over to the two-story flat in Southgate of North London, where they met Stephen Marshall, a then 38-year-old bodybuilder, professional trainer, and former bouncer, as well as his girlfriend, Sarah Bush, who was a former prostitute. The officers noticed that they were nervous and evasive of the questions police asked them of the man's whereabouts, resorting to one of the officers to call back to base, saying they were unhappy about the story he was being told by the couple. They were able to get a warrant to search the flat, and discovered in a wardrobe a license plate reading H-H-W-E-J, essentially Jeffrey Howe's car's license plate. The couple were taken into custody on April 21st, allowing crime scene forensics to enter the home and begin their investigation, but they only had a small window of time. Marshall and Sarah could only be held for 24 hours with what they had them on, and obviously the investigators need more evidence in order to keep them at the Hatsfield station flat was seen to be meticulously clean, as though a thorough job had been performed on every single surface. But once furniture was moved, large trace amounts of blood was found, mostly in the bedroom and the bathroom. Police didn't know if it was Jeffrey that Marshall and Sarah's victims was the person that had all the blood all over the floor, but if he died by the hand of another, uh, no DNA was found uh, for use at the time of testing. With the couple still in the station, Sue Burns, a detective assigned to the case, uh, interviewed Marshall not long afterwards, who only replied no comment to every single question she put forward, and I saw a video of the interrogation and the questions she was asking him, and yet he just was looking down, he was just like, no comment, no comment, every time she asked a question. It was really weird. Uh, so it was evident, though, that his guilt for Jeffrey's murder became more obvious over the course of the interview, despite showing no emotion. He just kind of got more and more sunk down in his chair and just wasn't looking at anyone in the eye. Just completely inward and bubble all around him. At the conclusion of the interview, Marshall was reported to have been courteous and polite and that he seemed normal. Duh. Sarah told her interviewer that he was one for mood swings and that he seemed really lost of late since he didn't know what he was going to do about the rent. Uh, neither admitted to being part of the crime. They did strongly suspect that the body parts belonged to Jeffrey Howe, though, the landlord of the flat that they lived in. So Jeffrey Howe, just wanted to get a little info about him, he was a kitchen salesman in Southgate of Northern London and he began to share his flat with the two in early 2009. Jeffrey and Marshall used to work together as a kitchen fitting business, which was how they became acquainted, and when the two fell on hard times during 2008, when, like, everything collapsed, uh, Jeffrey allowed them to rent out his spare room. In time, the couple did stop paying the rent, and even though Jeffrey let it slide for a little while, he eventually began asking for the money. Both tenants refused and were asked to leave, which they also declined. And shortly after this occurred, Jeffrey disappeared. So using 3D technology, scientist Caroline Wilkinson was able to match up the CT scan of the skull to a picture of Jeffrey Howe, noting the matching of the orbital bones, so like the eye sockets, and the width and shape of the jawline, among other similar evidence. Uh, the identity of the victim became public, and Marshall and Sarah were then charged with murder. Uh, the most challenging part was yet to come, though, as investigators had to prove that it was the couple that killed Jeffrey. So Ray Palmer began examining the evidence to find this link and found tiny fibers on the tape that was used for binding the body parts. 
The fibers were thinner than a piece of human hair, with a blue object with a peach skin texture. Look of it. It was found to belong to the inflatable air mattress that Marshall and Bush had bought, and it was after Jeffrey's death. They also found a number of green cotton polyester fibers on the tape as well that matched to a green polo shirt that belonged to Marshall. Gotcha. <laughs> Back at the forensic lab, Sue Black was discovering some startling evidence on the body parts. The cutting of the limbs was done in a way that suggested that the person who did this was experienced in it. The limbs were cut at the joints, cleanly in one pass, and could have been done in a matter of hours for somebody who knew what they were doing. This raised further questions for the police force, who could not find any evidence to show that Marshall had anything in his past that would link him to this kind of knowledge. Like, this is almost medical kind of cutting, and he's just been like a body bouncer and a bodybuilder and things like that. So when the police continued searching the man's past, the couple appeared in court, pleading not guilty to the crime of murder. The trial would begin in early January 2010, but on the first day before it changed, before the trial fully began. Marshall admitted to dismembering Jeffrey, but not to the killing. In his initial defense case statements, both were blaming the other for the killing of their former landlord. Rosa Silverman, a journalist who attended the hearing, reported that Marshall kept up the defense for three more weeks, but didn't betray emotion or look at his former girlfriend the entire time, basically blaming her for killing him. Prosecution presented Marshall as a man that was prone to violence, given by witness statements and history. More of the case was focused on the actions the two took after Jeffrey's murder when they began using his money for shopping, selling his possessions, forging signatures for his checks, like they were just like stealing his entire identity in life. A key clue was the receipt of the unsuspecting person who bought Jeffrey's car on eBay. Uh, both suspects' fingerprints were found on the car and inside and outside. In a surprising twist, before the prosecution's case closed, Marshall pleaded guilty to the killing and dismemberment of Jeffrey Howe against the overwhelming evidence given to the court. The charge for murder against Sarah Bush was dropped and she instead pleaded to lesser charges, the helping of disposed body parts and providing false information to the police about Jeffrey's whereabouts. After admitting to the murder, Marshall also admitted to being involved with the notorious Adams family gang, who still operate in England today when he worked as a bouncer, and helped dispose of over four bodies in the same manner as he had killed Jeffrey. Big twist. Is this a gang that, like, <laughs> models themselves after the Adams family, or that's just their name? Oh no, it's just spelled A-D-A-M-S, oh, not damn it. two Ds. <laughs> oh, no, the Adams family. Gomez, No! Gomez, no! <laughs> so sentencing was swift, with Sarah sentenced to three years and nine months for obstruction of justice and two years, three months for helping dispose of the body parts. Marshall was given a life sentence with a minimum of 36 years to be served. The family hopes that one day Marshall will give the location of Jeffrey's hands, which have never been found, though some believe they are buried in Epping Forest. Stephen Marshall is still serving his sentence in jail, though many believe he may be in protective custody to avoid being killed by those on the inside that are loyal to the Adams gang. Sarah Bush's 45-month sentence has long since passed, and her current location is unknown. And that is the case of the Jigsaw Killer. Damn. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's probably four bodies buried in England somewhere that have been cut up exactly like this poor guy was. And they were like, oh, it's like jigsaw puzzle pieces. And that's how they connected it to Saw. Like, wait a minute. We should point out that we this is different in a case because Jigsaw in Saw 
has that moniker because he carves jigsaw puzzle pieces into his victims. And yeah, this, he doesn't make this guy took it more pieces. literally. He made human jigsaw puzzles <laughs> that you gotta put together. <laughs> this torso is connected to this leg, but this ad- this arm when, is not connected to this when, body. When this whole case was happening, were people talking about saw at all? Just or just because I mean, jigsaw was a term before uh, this movie, so is it just a coincidence? Yeah, I bet they were like, oh my god, jigsaw, and then they were just like <laughs> saw. I've connected them. I've connected. Because <laughs> that was still like the height of the Saw craze of like where there was a sequel coming out every year, for, right? 2009. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was in 2009 to 2010. So, yeah, definitely. All right. So, we have come to our final part. Is Saw 2004, directed by James Wan, written by Lee Winnell, a gay movie? It's gay because I like it. Um. <laughs> This is my segment where... That is so valid. Or our segment. This it was just one of the things I wanted to talk about because I'm a queer person who loves horror and therefore look for queer horror or subtext. Uh, it's mainly just the ending scene that a lot of people, I think, are drawn to where the two men finally are on screen together and there's like a... It's just such an emotional scene. Even like on the it's... commentary, James Wan starts singing Sometimes When We Touch. Uh, God, and it so while the while the movie itself is not explicitly gay, it definitely gained a following. Like, I didn't get into this movie till its ten year anniversary release, but I have a friend on the inside who was there in the heyday, who was on like fanfiction.net for it, uh, <laughs> which apparently the creators know about. Like, I'm on the commentary. Lee was like, did you know that there's, like, fan fiction about this? I don't know if he meant explicitly splash, slash fiction about it. I, I feel like they have to know. Like, this has a following. Oh. Just, like, y'all listening, all, like, three of you, like, go on, like, DeviantArt <laughs> or Photo Bucket and type in Chain Shipping because that is their deemed ship name of Adam and Lawrence. It's Chain Shipping. Uh, anything you want to add about this? Oh, definitely. Um, it's it does get really emotional like they form this kind of really weird bond over mm-hmm. their hours in the bathroom and i think that's what makes the emotional scene at the very end just like so much more dramatic and also that uh you know adam was willing to beat zeb to death with a bathroom oh, yeah. toilet tank lid because he was gonna kill lawrence and i'm just like i don't know if i would even do that for somebody that i just met <laughs> oh. in a terrible terrible situation <laughs> like that but you know Fuck it. <laughs> Which also, God bless uh, Michael Emerson for playing a great, uh, not even really the villain. He was just also someone who was in the same kind of messed up situation. Yeah, the, uh, the whole movie is, we didn't really talk about the plot of the movie, oops. Uh, I mean, because like Elle mentioned, you know, Zed actually just turned out to be one of Jigsaw's other puppets where there's poison in his system and if he doesn't do exactly what he's told he won't get the antidote like this oh yeah sorry my cat just showed up uh. <laughs> <laughs> we have cats so yeah the, the whole movie is about like what would you do in this situation you know that, that how people react oh, yeah. and that's and the, the the dynamic between adam and lawrence really like shifts 
where it starts off with Lawrence being the calmer, more collective one and Adam freaking out to the exact opposite, where when Lawrence is literally cutting off his foot, Adam is trying to reason with him and freaking out about like, the whole situation. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. You just, oh, man. If I could go back in time to the opening night of Saw and just see oh, the end reveal when Jigsaw, like, gets up from the floor and just everyone just, like, Boy. screaming <sighs> in the theater. Like, that, that ending is what got this a theatrical release. It was supposed to be a straight-to-DVD release, and there were- so they had test screenings, and people- at that- at that ending, at that reveal, people were literally, like, standing up and, like, screaming. And they're like, oh, oh maybe this is, uh, something we should hang on to here. So yeah, I too wish that I, to be a fly yeah. on that wall. <laughs> and now it's like- Ten Saw movies later. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Just keep so there's so up. many. This Tobin Bell has gone through so many things, but he's still he's like here for it. <laughs> he's still got that and we love him for that. You'd think you think that like hopefully one day we'll get James Wan to follow us, like we got Lee to do that. <laughs> Lee, if you're listening, <laughs> I don't know sorry, why. Thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for putting up for all the shit posting. It was it's well worth it because we love to just yell various things and you're just like, oh, yep, another day. <laughs> another day, another bunch four. of twenty something gays talking about Saw. That's my final answer is that Saw it's, is gay because we like it, and so that, that's my evidence. If you're gay if you're gay and you love Saw, it is automatically a gay movie <laughs> and Adam Faulkner Stenheit is the gay man. Oh, I'll just admit that right there. I should also mention that apparently a lot of lesbians like Amanda. That's what my my friend Paige said too. That's interesting. That like they're drawn to her and have like theories that she is a les herself, and (laughs) which I had to give her credit. What for the? uh, I had to give her credit for the uh, her acting in the Reverse Bear Trap. Oh, she's great. Yeah, like safe Shawnee. She she stabbed that guy. She was she was like, let's go, let's she get really this did. thing off. Another, she did that. Uh, all my my con- contribution is just fun facts. Another fun fact is that uh, in that scene with the reverse bear trap scene, any close up of like her hands is actually Lee's hands <laughs> because those were reshoots. <laughs> oh yeah, weren't they like? It's not. They're like it's not gory enough. We need more blood. They got because like I wasn't think it, it supposed was, to be like a PG thirteen. No, I think it was just James Wan didn't have all the shots that he wanted because you know they filmed this in eighteen days and there were just like little shots, oh, yeah. like little like close ups and stuff and like the shadow stuff that they just didn't have footage for that he wanted and so they went back and Lee had to like paint his nails and put on this frock that Amanda was wearing. Uh, so those are his hands. <laughs> He's the fake and chef, he kept as painting you would his call. <laughs> You have painting his fingernails, and he wore a chain link wallet, mm-hmm. and his wife's still married. <laughs> we love you, Corbett. Wow. <laughs> so that's uh, so. Oh, I God. hope we we did not do it justice, but I wish we did. Uh... <laughs> that is the legendary Saw, which has been one of the grossest horror movie franchises of all time along with mm-hmm. The Conjuring and Insidious which is also by James Wan and Lee Winnell so they are extremely oh, Lee, underrated for Lee didn't do The Conjuring please stuff. people keep telling him they love The Conjuring and he didn't do, have anything to do with it don't put that evil on him oh no just just, just Insidious <laughs> were both of them 
Yeah. I swore he had something to do with the he conjuring. He had nothing to guess... do with the conjuring. Interesting. Like, Quentin Tarantino came up to that. him and was like, I love the conjuring. And he's like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm Poor so man. used to this. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and we do want to do a little input for James Wan directing Aquaman, which is the yeah. best selling DC movie, and Lee Winnell is doing The Invisible Man Whoa. for Blumhouse. Hell yeah. And he also did Upgrade this past 2018, and mm-hmm. if you have not seen it, then you should see it because it's amazing. Yeah, come to my house. I got the Blu-ray. <laughs> we all got the Blu-ray, and we're, we'll watch it at any day, any time. You could wake me up at 2am and be like, you want to watch Upgrade? And it's like, mm-hmm. hell yeah. So that is the first podcast. I think we did that pretty good, despite how unprepared we actually were. Yeah. That's our send off. We can. Yeah, let's do a send off. So thank you guys so much for listening. And I will be tweeting out the next week's episode title. And if you can guess what we're going to be talking about, I'll give you a little shout out on the official Stop Horror Time page which is at stop horror time pod on twitter and horror time pod on facebook so you can reach me at either of those and kate where can we find you on social media <laughs> you can find me on twitter at pan sarah lance you don't want to see my instagram it's just me shit posting but yeah you can find me <laughs> find me on twitter they're very fun to talk to you on twitter <laughs> so you. if you guys have any questions any comments anything you'd like to tell us you can reach us there so we'll see you guys next week bye bye